For you, you know, I grew my beard a little bit. I even have a hand, <laughs> which usually Sorry. brings me to the question. It's like, okay, the, the significance of the B that you have on your hat? Yes, the Boston Red Sox. Who, and it is sort of a sad, uh, it's a sad day uh, in, uh, in Red Sox Nation because uh, Jerry Remy, a uh, former player and a really important announcer uh, for the Red Sox, passed away of cancer. I think he had cancer mm. seven times. But he was oh, really... Wow. Boston has a has a riches of uh, great uh, uh, television and radio announcers, uh, and and Stephen King, who's a who's a huge fan, even wrote uh, a a book called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Uh, he was a reliever for the Red Sox, and it's a story of a girl who gets lost in the woods, and but she is comfort. She's like seven, but she's comforted by the fact she can listen to her little radio and hear uh, uh, WEI call the game uh, and and hear the great. Uh, uh, callers of the game. So it's a, uh, it's a wonderful team. I was at uh, game three of the ALCS, which was, uh, the best game of the ALCS, uh, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan. But. So for the yeah. people who are listening to it as a podcast or watching it as a video cast, um, basically we're talk- we are recording this November 1st. So that's sort of a yes. time reference. Okay. Wait. What? So I'm sorry. My, my knowledge in baseball is so limited. I tried. I tried. They, even when I did my um, citizenship test, there is like about how do you know? Can you recognize the logo of the New York? What are they? Uh, not Knicks. The other ones. The, the, the Yankees. Thing. The Yankees, <laughs> right? right. Yes. I yes. failed it. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that's great. Although, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you, you go like, yeah, one. like this. That's like, a, yeah, what's the name of this? Yeah, how, how does it work? Yeah, ch- would chuck it? Yeah. No, no, the other one. <laughs> what would you like to talk about? Are we talking about branch? What's broken in the industry? Or what are we missing in terms of conversation in the industry? Yeah, you know, I mean, okay. I've, I've watched and listened to, uh, to a number of the interviews and uh, conversations you've had. And I've been reading... Uh, you know, a lot of the punditry around uh, fintech and insurance, especially. And I, and I do think that there is a, a lack of knowledge and understanding about a lot of the key parts of insurance. And, and really, I'm talking about uh, U.S. personal lines, home and auto and life to some extent, renters to some extent, um, that I just I think is just missing. And, uh, and I think it would be great to talk about those elements um, and also, I think it's, I can explain why it's missing. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love your, your thoughts and questions about it too. But I, I, I think there's a lot that we could do to make the uh, discourse more intelligent uh, and more thoughtful uh, mm-hmm. around, especially U.S. personal and startups. And how do we do that? Well, I think, um, I think there are some great uh, places to start. So one great question to ask uh, is, uh, are, uh, home and auto insurance and renters and life, are they essentially commodities? So is it, and is it the case that essentially people buy them on price, maybe above a a trust threshold, right? So you could say like, well, I've never heard of that company. Right. But, but is it true that people buy them on price or is it the case that, um, people are, are, see them as different and are looking for something different in them? I think that's a really important thing that uh, everyone should level set on and decide. And there are startups uh, who have as their thesis that they're not commodities, uh, or at least there's a portion of the population that will buy them not as commodities. Uh, and, and by the way, I think we could agree that it, at higher value homes, let's say, for example, and maybe higher value autos uh, as well, maybe you know above $150,000 or $200,000 cars, but and let's say above several million dollar homes, where, you know, I think they, bec- they are, we could agree, you know, at a minimum, it's, it's hard to figure out what the replacement costs of these are, or, or you may have specialized parts in auto. But if we excluded those and we looked at sort of the middle 99% um, of, of Americans, uh, I would certainly tell you that uh, I think they're largely commoditized products. Um, I think people almost exclusively shop on price or price and ease. I mean, if you make it really, really hard to buy, 
um, they might, you know, even if you're really cheap, they might decide to go with the slightly more expensive but easier option. But people will jump through a lot of hoops to get a lower price. And, and in fact, I've heard a quote several times recently, which was, um, if you're selling underpriced auto insurance, even if you're in a dinghy in the middle of the ocean, uh, people will find you and they will buy that underpriced auto insurance from you. Interesting. Um, I'm all, sure that you can find yeah. a few, a few insurtex and a few regional co- uh, carriers that are more than happy. And this is basically their strategy, right? It's all about price sensitive, rather than, of course, which is super important. You talked about trust, so brand recognition. Then, of course, there is the conveniency that we pay a lot of premium for conveniency, and I would say better design, right? We today I, I, we I buy everything so, but- by the rental. Mm-hmm. But don't, I mean, if you if you think about like a typical lead aggregator in insurance, which which is a lot of a lot of people who are price sensitive will go to Google and they will search for cheap auto insurance and they will find their way to one of the lead aggregators that aggregates that demand. And they yep. ask you a bunch of questions and they gives you price estimates, which are just estimates, then often off by a lot. Um, and then you can <laughs> click on each one of them and you can dive in and you can fill out, you know, you can spend from five to 35 minutes on the auto side probably before you can get a price and i mean i i would say people will jump through a lot of hoops in order to get that slightly lower price i mean one of the things that you know i mean before we started branch we did um we did a open-ended consumer survey where we asked the magic wand question so the magic wand question in product is you, you ask people okay think about the last time you bought auto insurance and home insurance and think about how you feel about them now if you had a magic wand, um, what would you change about that entire experience or what it is? And 85% of the people said, I wish it was cheaper. I mean, and, and that's not prompted. It didn't say like, of these five things, what matters more to you? It was just pick what what comes to your mind as something you'd like it to change. So, I mean, I, I really do think people like want it to be cheaper and want to jump through hoops. Despite all of that, um, I was totally blown away early on in, in Branch's life when I was listening to calls with sales reps, where there was someone who was just absolutely stoked about the fact that we had a rate that was $20 cheaper per six month period on auto insurance. I mean, and I just, I mean, I just, I I, I, I was blown away. Like I I didn't think anybody would get that excited about a $20 savings over six months. Um, And so certainly my experience that people are very price sensitive and make selections on price outside of risk. Mm-hmm. And then there is the part that it's all about coverage. Now, there are people who cares about coverage, but how many are they? Or let's call it the, uh, the confident buyers or the confident uh, planners, right? It's all about what does it mean for my risk? How can I plan for a better future? What's the side of that segment? And how much time do they invest in purchasing insurance? Are well, they the target of the agents or can they do it direct? I mean, there may be some of that, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that at least in U.S. home and auto, you're going to have a hard time not finding some coverage that you care about that isn't offered by who, who, whomever you're talking to. I mean, I will agree that there are some like, for example, you know, on the homeowner's side, something like sewer and water line coverage is something that maybe not every insurer is offering. Um, and, uh, but I mean, there, that's, that's kind of it. There aren't, you're going to have a really hard time saying like this, this insurer has this coverage that this other one doesn't have that I care about in any meaningful way. I mean, I, it is maybe worth saying, you know, we certainly have a philosophy that insurance exists, uh, to help you financially through things that would be catastrophic otherwise. And so there's a useful question to ask, like, I don't know, if someone was going to offer you locksmithing service, like, is that insurance? I mean, I don't think that's insurance. Like, insurance is your house burned down and I can't, you know, I've lost this huge thing that I've invested in. Um, I, you know, I, 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 and so when I think about, you know, sort of smaller uh, uh, claims, you know, in general, I, 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 you know, as the dollar amounts get smaller and smaller, it feels less like insurance to me and more like you're buying a subscription. So you could, 
tack those things together. And there is actually Plymouth Rock is an insurer that has an endorsement that gives you, uh, I think, Red Sox tickets and like a bunch of Red Sox memorabilia. And I love that. And uh, like, you know, that's a phenomenal thing. I wish Branch had that partnership, but that's not insurance. You know, that's like a that's something else you can buy along with your insurance. That's not insurance. And so um, I think when we talk about insurance coverage, I think what you'd find is it would be really difficult to find a U.S. Uh, personal lines carrier that wasn't offering uh, a coverage that another one did that's like a coverage that matters to at least 1% of the population. So we have a few problems here, right? So first of all, you know, do people truly understand what is the coverage? What do they need? What they don't need? And what? how to even to differentiate? How do you even put one policy versus the other? You know, there are all kinds of folks out there that are trying to figure that out with all kinds of brilliant AI. But then it's like, okay, great. Will people use it? And how much education you need to put in in order to educate? Will that even bring the ROI back? And, you know, and let's put a small pin on the commodity because once we define insurance as a commodity, what does it mean? How does it impact the entire ecosystem, right? So there is a lot, a lot I, to go there. I, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that to say what you're saying, I think in a slightly different way, what most, most people's interaction with home and auto insurance is you buy it because you have to. And then when you have a claim, you go, oh, no, I don't know if I'm covered, but I hope I am. You know, and like, yep. that's it. That's yep. everyone. That's like everyone's experience with it. Um, you know, from our perspective at Branch, I, we view it as a defect if you call us with a claim and you thought you were covered and you aren't. So mm-hmm. for us, like, we very much care about uh, about that interaction, right? We don't want you to, th- we want you to know what you're covered for. We actually spend quite a lot of time on that. We, we have, and if you go read reviews of Branch, what you'll see are, a lot of people will be mentioning people by name who they've interacted with, like our sales agent or our service agents who help people figure that out. Like we're, we're not, we don't have this sense of like, wow, we have all this AI and chatbots, and you can never talk to a person. Like we don't think that that's how you solve this problem that you're talking about, which is how do I make sure that people know what coverage they have? So I, I completely agree that there is a problem in insurance that is people don't know what they're covered for and they may have difficulty from like an apples to apples perspective of saying, well, I'm getting this at this insurer and this at this other insurer. And what are they the same and what do they cover? So that is a real problem. Yeah, there is even more. So the, my point or where I was leading, you know, you're talking about um, sort of comparing one type of an apple to another type of apple and another one. The thing is that the, most of the people don't know what apple is. They, they don't, they can't recognize or understand, oh, this is an apple. This is a good apple. This is an organic apple, which basically it's the same apple, right. just priced a little bit higher. Um, and then they don't really know to ask the questions. Okay, what is in my coverage and what type of coverage do I need? And that's sort of where we need agents and good agents, not just to use the scare techniques in order to sell insurance, but actually explain what they need, what they don't need, and better digital experience that will have that now it's not it's like oh my god you all need to do that really depends on your strategy and the products that you actually have uh, the, i would assume that there are those who do that the, then there are those that do it less because in terms of the coverage that they have it's less because that's what they have right whoever paper they are using if they are an mga or they have their own program well, I, or just an agency i mean i've only run into one insurance startup that um that like for example didn't offer 250 500 or like 500 csl combined single limit in auto coverage and i mean if you're going to think about like broad scopes about what about coverages in auto the main coverages in auto are bodily injury either that you're causing other people and so they can sue you for that your net worth for it right and so you want to have enough coverage so that it covers your net worth. Uh, and you probably want umbrella on top of regular coverages. Uh, if you don't have, uh, you know, if your net worth exceeds like $500,000 and then you'd like uninsured coverage, but those are the primary auto coverages. And then the other auto coverages are 
you know, getting increasingly smaller. And on the home side, it's like if your home burned down, that's the main coverage. So people offer that. And again, I don't think it, I only know one insurance startup that doesn't offer like a main, um, like one of the key sort of amounts you would want. They don't offer 250500 on the auto side. So I do really think people are offering all of these things. I think you can get the equivalent coverage everywhere. I think that you're right that you should seek an insurer. If, if you don't know exactly what you want, you should seek an agent or an insurer who can help you understand what coverage you need. Um, but a, a lot of insurers have great uh, agents, licensed agents on staff who help you learn those things. And so, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see this as a huge problem in the industry. Like I know I can call Geico, I can call Progressive, I can call Allstate, I can call State, I mean, State Farms maybe slightly different, but I can call these direct, these direct carriers, I can call USAA, I can talk about what I need and I am going to end up, I feel highly confident across all of those that I'm going to end up with the correct coverage and they're going to help. And, and I, I don't think that, I think that anybody who's telling you that that's not true, that you can't call one of those carriers and get like talk to a licensed agent and get the right coverage and comparable coverage. I don't think that person understands the insurance industry today. Like the industry is very good at that. That's not a core problem with now there's this overall consumer problem of consumers not understanding whether they're covered. But I will tell you that most people are being covered for the things that they, uh, that they would expect to be covered for. And people who are taking the time, when they're shopping to ask questions are getting the right coverage regardless of carrier. So I, 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 I don't, I, you know, I, I think there's this desire for insurance startups to talk about the industry's terrible and awful in all these ways. I don't actually think that's uh, horribly broken. I think, I think it's overly complex for sure. When Tammy from, I don't know, Cleveland wants to buy insurance, who is she going to first? Is that a known brand? Is that, Hey, Dad, hey, Mom, I need to buy insurance for my first car. I'm, I don't know, 22, 23. Needs a, a car. Well, if she's a New Yorker, she will never buy a car. But let's assume, <laughs> is it going to be a brand? Is it going to be the parents? They will already give her a little bit. It will not be, you know, something that she learned in the seventh, uh, sorry, uh, what is that? The 10th grade. No, I think that's, that's absolutely true. I, I think, and I think, the answer to that initially is whoever her parents have, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be where it starts. And then when her parents say you need to get your own, um, that maybe that ends up, um, you know, again, still having a separate policy with, with the, with the company that they have because they know it and maybe they had a good claims experience. Um, but this is actually the part where the industry uh, from our perspective is so is broken. Um, and it is that uh, if you look at what insurers spend to acquire customers, you have this really this terrible reinforcing problem in the U.S., which is that it's really hard to buy insurance in the U.S. to oh. buy auto. Now we are getting into the meat of the conversation. Okay. Well, to to buy auto and buy home is hard in the US. Um, I mean, buying a bundle, a home auto bundle will take you two hours in most cases. It's hundreds of questions. Um, uh, you could even look at, you know, Progressive, which has great, uh, I mean, has has a wonderful history in innovating in auto. If you go through their home auto bundle purchase, you know, you'll take, it'll take you like 15 minutes or so uh, to get an auto quote and not bindable. It'll take you another 15 to 20 minutes to get a home quote not bindable and then it'll, they'll say okay well, we'll sell it to you and then you can go bind the auto that's another five or ten minutes and then they say great call us to buy home <laughs> and then that's probably another hour i mean that's it that's like the state outside of branch uh which is name and address the bindable price for home and auto <laughs> um that's it that's the best the industry has right now and, and by the way most likely i'm sorry for it uh, to cut you but no, no, no. Is the progressive example, is it their product? Because what we've seen that if it's most, most likely, it will just be a lead and they will resell, they will act as the, an agent for another carrier. It is, it is with progressive. They do have a homeowner. They bought a company called ASI a number of years ago, but in general, they will not sell you that. They will sell you QBE or home site or another carrier that they're an agent for. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so, um, you know, the, so this dynamic, though, the fact that it's so hard to buy um, means that they have to spend lots of money on advertising or on agents who then spend money on advertising in order to acquire a customer. And so, and, and so this is another, one of the great things that I don't think is well understood by analysts who look at this space is to really think about how much is being spent to acquire customers. And I think there are three buckets of expense that acquiring customers come in. And I will tell you, basically no analysts, no S1s you've read have actually incorporated all three buckets. Oh, and God. this is the thing that everyone needs to be thinking about. So one of them is, is something that everyone includes in the bucket, which is what are you spending on sales and marketing? Okay, so everyone includes that, right? They, like, you know, Allstate has the hands with the football nets at college football games. Um, you know, we got Jake from State Farm ads. Like, I can't, I mean, I see, you know, per hour of television, I see two of them, I think. Um, you know, and so people, that money is spent there be, in order for those insurers to be top of mind, right? I need insurance. Oh, I remember Jake from State Farm. I'm calling State Farm, right? Or whatever that is. So that there's, there is a ton of money put in that, right? There's also agent commissions. And this is one of those areas where branch sales or independent agents, they're great. Um, and they often can very much help you with problems we talked about earlier. Um, but um, it's important to consider the fact that you have to pay the agents a commission that lasts for the life of the policy, so often about 15%. And so if you're buying through an agent, you should be thinking, if I'm gonna buy this policy and I'm gonna retain it for 20 years, I'm gonna be paying, you know, I'm paying 15% higher essentially in order to get this agent to help me out. So if that agent is providing that value, then you should pay that agent. If that agent isn't providing that value or not commensurate value, then that agent is getting a better deal than you are out of it. Um, but there are companies who act like agent commission shouldn't be included in acquisition expense or, or, or in sort of not thought about as expense. And, you know, that's a challenge because the main goal of the agent, the main role of the agent is in acquiring and binding the customer. Uh, there are a lot of agents who don't do any servicing at all. Um, and in general, the carrier has to do a decent amount of the servicing because carriers often won't let agents do all of the servicing. Uh, so it's not like it's the agent's fault. But the, so the acquisition and binding of the customer, that is, that's the, the core reason why the agent makes the commission they do. And so you should think about that as part of acquisition expense. And then finally, we have a category of insurance startups who uh, have been selling insurance that, uh, for more than it costs to make, right? Who have loss ratios well in excess of the targeted loss ratio. So in general, you know, certainly if you have a loss ratio over 100, that means you're actually spending more out in claims than you collect in premium. That's obviously well underpriced insurance. But even a loss ratio in the 90s, um, you know, high 80s even potentially, depending on the other economics you have. And by the way, if you have, if you have to pay agency commissions, you know, you got to add another 15 points in there for that. And so um, if you're underpricing insurance, I think it's an important thing to think, well, that's an acquisition spend because you're not going to be able to do it forever. And people are price sensitive. And so if you underprice insurance, that should go in your acquisition spend. And so when people are thinking about the economics of insurance, they should be, especially if they want to analogize it to other startups like software as a service economics, they should be thinking about what is being spent on agent commissions, what's being spent on regular sales and marketing expense, and what's being spent to underprice the product to, to juice growth. And if we had a good understanding of that spending everywhere, I think we would have a good sense of, uh, of the actual economics of startup insurers. Now, these larger companies aren't underpricing, you know, at all, really. And so it's just useful to look at them with respect to the agency spend and the uh, on the sales and marketing spend. And what's the reason why the, the top growing auto insurers of the past 20 years are Progressive and Geico and USAA is because they don't have that agency spend. And so they're able to take 15 points out of their price. I mean, that's literally why Geico's pitch was 15 minute, minutes would save you 15% or more because they were just saying, well, we're not paying agents. So we're gonna be 15% cheaper on average because that that is 15% that everyone else has to pay. 
No, I think that they, you touch on so many different things that I wonder if we are going to take them in a later episodes and just dive into them or continue <laughs> talking about them here. Because, you know, from the, in, the economics of insurance and especially the economics of the insurtechs and what you ta- we talked about, the different uh, S1s that we've saw that we saw so far and uh, we are looking forward to see what's going, you know, how Keen is going to develop once they're going uh, public. We've seen, you know, Metromile, Root, uh, Hippo, Lemonade and a couple of other, other players. And it's going to also, I talked with um, uh, Kanan about uh, about Keen. We talked about that. So there is a lot to unpack there and especially how the different insurtechs present their KPIs, which is very interesting because at the end of yeah. the day, the insurance industry has its own KPI and those are the the combined ratio, the loss ratio, etc., etc., etc. And then as you talked about, yeah, but you know, you are trying to have a SAS multiplier or you're trying to talk into the investor conversation. And the more that I dig deep and deep into the investment side of uh, life, it's very interesting to see, okay, how do you present it? Because there, it's a different industry that tries to use two different parallel KPIs for valuing the company, right? And have, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And then we've got an investor industry that wants to think of everything in, uh, in software as a service metrics like CAC or customer acquisition costs and LTV, which is lifetime value. Um, there is an investment bank, uh, William Blair, that has done a pretty good job in suggesting how you could look at um, uh, CAC and LTV in insurance economics. Mm-hmm. And so what they suggest is that your LTV is uh, you would count your premium minus your cost of claims. So in other words, you take out your loss ratio. So mm-hmm. sort of one minus yeah. your loss, your actual loss ratio. Um, and, and that, you know, what's interesting is when William Blair does that, they, they, can, sh- they can compare InsurTechs to uh, uh, established companies with those investor metrics. So I would say if you're, uh, if you're an InsurTech investor, investing in insurance companies like, and you haven't read the William Blair papers and haven't looked at them, you should, because it's the only kind of independent parallel world uh, that exists. Um, the, the other thing I'd say is, you know, I don't think combined ratio is a useful uh, view mm-hmm. for looking at startups because all, the combined ratios are going to be terrible because you're small and, and this, is a, this is a scale game. Yeah, big but, number, big N. You absolutely should be looking at loss ratio, and you should also be looking at the difference between targeted loss ratio and actual loss ratio. Um, and the reason why is you you when you are making insurance as a product, what you're doing is you're saying, "I'm here today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a guess right about what the cost of this product I'm selling." Right? I sell an insurance policy on day one then I'm making a guess at what the cost of claims are, but not just claims. I'm also making a guess at what the cost of, of acquiring that customer is and what it will cost to service that customer. Mm-hmm. So uh, occasionally I see startups write, a, like auto startups write about, well, this, this piece of data doesn't predict uh, whether you're going to have a crash. So, um, so we shouldn't use it in rating. Well, the cost of insurance isn't just the cost of crashes. There's theft. There are comprehensive claims. But there's also, you know, people calling in and changing their billing uh, method every 30 days. You know, so, people who have failed billing and who ha- you have to send registered certified letters to cancel and then they then they have to call you back and, and talk to somebody and, and pay, make that payment. That, those are costs. Mm-hmm. And so those are costs that, you know, somebody has to bear. The insurance company isn't the government. It doesn't have like an unlimited pool of money. Ultimately, those costs are going to get spread among the existing customers. And so it's you know, it's really helpful to look at the, the company targeted this loss ratio, which meant they expected you would think to hit that loss ratio because the pricing of their policies is based upon them hitting that number. And then if what they actually hit, you know, if they actually hit something that's like a little bit high or a little bit low, like, great, that's, that's a wonderful view. If what they hit is two times the loss ratio, 40 points higher, 
you know, it's it's a very worthwhile question to ask. What's going on? Are you why aren't you trying to hit it? Why was it so off? I've never once heard any analyst ask any insurance startup, you targeted this loss ratio, you hit this loss ratio, why? But like that would tell you a whole lot about, you know, does that company know how to make insurance? No, and that's that's a great question because as you said, they basically, there are two ways to look at that, right? One will be they undersold a high risk, right? Sure. Or they didn't target the risk that they wanted. They got bad risk into the funnel. So those are two different things to look at the same problem, which is like, yeah, we got X amount of premium for that risk, although it should have been, I don't know, five times that X. Yep. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that um, you, and you could say, well, no, 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 our strategy was we had to put it this low because the department wouldn't approve it. Uh-huh. But then our goal is to grow really fast. So we underpriced it so we could grow super fast because it's cheaper and we know people will buy it when it's cheaper. Now, by the way, that's not sustainable and you shouldn't lie to the departments of insurance because they regulate you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you know the history of insurance, but the history Please. of insurance. Share, share it with um, me and the audience. Right. We'll see the history insurance. of insurance. Insurance was the original insurance internet startup, right? Found on a based on a thesis of people would want to buy insurance on the internet. I mean, that was basically it. That was the whole thesis. Um, and what they did was they went out and they copied all states' uh, rating plan for auto. Now, in insurance in the U.S., you have to file your rate plan and your forms, and so people can copy them. But you don't, in most states, have to file your underwriting rules. So in other words, what people are we going to offer a price to and what people are we not going to offer a price to? And so eSurance copied Allstate's program. But Allstate's program was a basically a preferred program at the time, which meant kind of if you had any accidents, uh, you know, you weren't, you, you, you weren't eligible for Allstate. But eSurance didn't know that. They just copied it. And not only that, they copied it, they put it online, they made it really easy to buy, and their mascot was this, uh, you know, was this Kim possible or sort of Kim insurance. I'm trying to remember the mascot, but like, you know, like a sort of overly sexualized female cartoon character. Um, And, uh, you know, they attracted people who wanted to save money on auto insurance because they weren't in the preferred segment. And that almost killed insurance. And so the the start of insurance and the original reality of insurance is I, I don't think the founders of insurance really made any money at all, even though insurance was bought for a billion dollars by Allstate ultimately, um, because it was essentially almost wiped out. Because what they did was they copied a plan that uh, that had under that was meant for this segment, let's say, and then they sold it to this segment. So they did exactly what you said on 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 that other side. And and I mean. You know, it's potential. There's a potential that there are other insurance startups that have done that since then. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. And and again, like I think by being more intelligent about these things, I mean, I think it would be silly to ask a startup about their combined ratio. But I think it would be great to say you targeted a 65 and you hit a 120. What happened? What's the plan? You know, where where should it be? I, I also there's one other thing that I found fascinating as well, which is. If you target, let's say, a 60 loss ratio, what you're saying is that you're going to need that other 40 points on the dollar. So if you say I'm going to target a 60 loss ratio, that means for every dollar I take in premium, I'm going to pay out 60 cents in claims. And the other 40 cents I'm going to use to do sales and marketing, pay agent commissions, profits, you know, premium tax, everything. That is right. Now, if another company comes along and says, we're more efficient than that, we don't need the 40 cents. We need less than you do. Then they can come and they can say, okay, well, we're going to target a 75 loss ratio. We only need another 25 cents for all that. Now, the amount that's going to be paid in claims on a per segment basis, let's say they have the same rating plan, is the same. And so what's going to happen is, that additional 15 points is going to make the one with the higher loss ratio cheaper. 
So if you have a 75 loss ratio, same rating plant as someone who's got a 60 loss ratio, right? You're just cheaper. You're operating it more cheaply and you'll, and if you're going to pass those savings back to customers, they're going to pay less. So that one with the, with the, with the higher loss ratio is going to be cheaper and is going to convert better. So it's also interesting to ask startups if they're, if they say, Hey, we're going to target a 60 loss ratio. It'd be great to say, well, you know, the most efficient insurers out there are targeting in the seventies. I mean, again, let's go to progressive, let's go to Geico. Where are they targeting? Why do you need more money? Like, isn't the point efficiency here? Aren't you, isn't, isn't the whole goal where you don't have like mainframes. So you get to operate more efficiently. So here's um, the challenge. If you, the challenge is that if you're a startup, you need to create a, your brand. B, you need growth. You need to have that base customers. You need those policy holders. And at the beginning, when you are, no matter if it's insurance or not insurance, when you're in a growth mode, it's all about just coming. We'll have that, you. you know, and it does you, usually, yeah, go ahead. Well, what you could do though, is you could say on a unit economic basis, we're oh. gonna we're gonna run our loss ratio and expense ratio for what we're gonna do at scale. Okay? And then we're gonna take a whole nother pot of money, and that's gonna be capital expenditures to grow our brand, to build our tech, to do all these things, right? But we're still going to price policies and have loss ratios that are for our at scale uh, reality, right? Mm -hmm. And you could separate those buckets out. And you're right, in a gap accounting world or whatever, maybe the numbers look really weird, but then you have like a reasonable non-gap measure where you're like, look, this is sort of our at scale metrics. By the way, loss ratio, that's why looking at loss ratio is great. It does, it's not affected by any of these things. You target the loss ratio, you hit the loss ratio, Everything else, it just doesn't matter. You can just look at the loss ratio, ask that question. But there's no reason why you would, if at scale you believed you could hit a 75 loss ratio, why you should be targeting a 60 today because you're just making your insurance more expensive. I mean, fundamentally, if two companies have, you know, well-segmented products that work well, the one that targets the lower loss ratio is selling a more expensive product in the market. That's, that's part of the insurance economic reality. And so it doesn't make sense to, even if you said for a short, for some amount of time, we're going to have to do some additional expenditures we won't have at scale. You should just separate those out. Those don't make sense to include in there, especially if they're, you know, been funded by investment. And, and then again, you have the investor looking, if really depends on the type of investor and how they see the strategy, which if they are coming from software, although we've been in the insurtech Time, let's call a movement or whatever that may be for enough time that about five, six years that there are more and more savvy investors that know how to read both of the KPIs. But let's use the classic SaaS investors, West Coast, not East Coast, different style of uh, KPIs. And that we look and say, you know, you have a good traction. You, we know that you are losing money. We like the fact that you are losing money. Just get more and more users, not policyholders, users. So later on, you can actually finally get into monetization. I don't know. Take example, Twitter or almost any other SaaS company that, it, <laughs> that is out there, right? Because that's a mentality. This is how they look at that. And if we are taking that into, you know, oh, is this e-commerce or commodity? Yeah, you more or less play in the same things, different tools, but... You need to play within the insurance rules and you measure it by the SaaS and high tech rules of so what, success. The, so what, the, the danger in, in that land mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was, is... I was preparing for it. Yeah. Go for it. Thanks, yeah. I mean, the danger... So in SaaS... When you acquire, you spend whatever to get a customer. As soon as you get a customer in SaaS, your margins are such that every minute that that customer is a customer of ours, you will of yours, you'll make money, right? Like you want that. You're trying to make them a customer for as long as possible because it's just more money in your pocket. In insurance, if you misprice insurance, every minute that customer is your customer, they're bleeding your they're bleeding cash from right and it's a really painful leaky bucket and you're regulated in a way that you can't just necessarily say i don't want you as a customer anymore 
I mean, the regulations will require you to, to, to not do that because that would be very disruptive to someone. If you've made an offer in insurance to someone, you're not allowed to just get rid of them because you were bad at your own financial plan as an insurance company. And so, um, you know, the, it is, there isn't, and, and the whole notion that in insurance, you can, you could underprice to grow and then fix it later. Um, well, no one's ever done it successfully. I mean, it's worth looking back historically. If we were to ask, how did State Farm get big? How did Allstate get big? How did Travelers get big? How did Farmers get big? How did USA get big? How did Progressive get big? Literally every single one of them got big because for a period of time, for a large percentage of the market, they had the cheapest price, period. Every one of them. I could tell you every one of their stories. State Farm was founded by a farmer at a time when the price for auto insurance and half of the U.S. were farmers. And, and at that time, auto insurance cost the same whether you lived in the city or on the farm. And he said, we shouldn't charge farmers as much. There aren't as many cars out here. There aren't as many accidents as in the city. And the people at the big auto insurers were like, <laughs> you're funny, go back. So he made his own he made his own insurance company. He's like, we can charge less money because they have fewer claims. He was right. That's State Farm. <laughs> farmers. Farmers was a copy of State Farm. But farmers said, hey, if I only pay commissions on the first year, will be cheaper and you can sell a lot more. And so even though you'll only get commission for the first year, you know, you'll still make make it up in volume. And he was right. And they did. Allstate. Allstate was part of Sears. So they used their position in the Sears catalog to uh, to 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 spend less. So everybody, everyone who's gotten bigger has had a structurally cheaper product that they've been able to put into the market. And they pass those savings back to consumers in order to grow. That's it. That's the, um, you want to talk about home and auto in the U.S. growth? That's it. That's every single large company. So I think that, yeah, we, we'll keep that to a different episode beside the, what we already covered. Because, sure. yeah, I think that there is a lot because we otherwise we'll start going in circles as well. No, no, no. no. We talk about it forever. But, but mm -hmm. I, this is great. I mean, I, I have appreciated this conversation. I would love, I mean, it would be great to have, even more people uh, talking about this, but I would love for the discussions in InsureTech to get into this more analytical, deeper, historical views that are that are that, that, that give us mental models and lenses into how to understand what we see in the market today in insurance. Because let's face it, history repeats itself. Maybe it sometimes in different colors and different uh, different contexts. But most definitely, because people are people and business well, is business, it's just repeating itself. And, and if history isn't going to repeat itself, you should at least be able to explain why, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot more faith in your thesis if you say, I know that this is the historical reality, but this thing is different, and here's why it's not going to be the same as the past. That would be great. I would love that that conversation. We're not, you know, that's not around today. So I'd love to see yeah, more and more of it. We should. We should have more. We talked like 30 minutes about other people and the industry. Let's give a little bit of love to Branch. Can you give a... Sounds great. Yeah. What's that about? So Branch is built to be structurally cheaper because we are able to take acquisition costs out of most transactions. And we were able to do that because Branch is so easy to buy. I love the fact so that you already like, hey, let me pop the hood. You know, before, <laughs> that, yeah. before that, two steps to people who have no idea. It's Absolutely. like, hey, this is Sorry. Joe. Uh, he's like, he's from Branch. Yeah. What do you sell? Where are you based? You right. know, like the small yeah. stats. Yeah, yeah Brand, Branch is a home auto renters and umbrella insurer. We're, head, we're headquartered in Ohio. Uh, we're currently live in 14 states. We'll be live in all 50 plus DC uh, at some point next year. Um, and uh, we we are, um, depending on the state, we are an MGA or our own carrier. Uh, we're actually a reciprocal exchange is the hmm. type of insurer we are. Okay. And that enables us to uh, bring a cheaper price into the market. Um, our mission is actually to reduce the price of insurance for everyone. And so we are highly focused on the structural ways we can do that. Um, 
so yeah, that that is who we are. Fantastic. No, what so, else like so that's a beginning. Now, okay, let's pop up the hood again because we need to talk about also the reciprocal structure and why you pick that. I can understand where you are. You know, there are places that you are an MJ, there are places that you uh, a carrier, and reaching the fifty states that's a big milestone. And when do you do that jump? And especially, but before we talk about all that, uh, which state did you start? We started in Ohio. Ohio. So no yeah. Texas, Arizona, like everyone else. We well, we we are in Texas and Arizona. Those were you are. those were states two and five for us, but uh, they're great states. They're all great states. Yeah, it's like Clear Cover started Illinois, and then did couple. Uh, Clear Cover started in uh, well, they started as an MGA in in California. Oh, right, 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 right. Because the the idea was, let's start with the hardest place and everything will look uh, easier afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. California is also very different in addition to being uh, hard, but yes. Yeah, in contradiction to New York, Jersey, and Florida. But yes. 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 I mean, we're obviously in the middle of all of this. yeah. Um, and, you know, so we, we really wanted to work with the department in Ohio. Mm-hmm. They've been fantastic. Um, and uh, it's a large state. Uh, it's a great department. Um, and uh, we started uh, on uh, with uh, our reinsurer score. We started on their paper and we have uh, we launched our reciprocal exchange here and we've moved our business over onto our paper, uh, which just takes a little while. But we've done that. And so uh, that's generally our strategy. Um, it is a bit advantageous for price to to be on our own paper in the reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we like to do that. But there are some states uh, for which that would take us a long time. And so uh, for those states, we get into them by being an MGA to start. But the programs we sell, we have are the same, uh, more or less, uh, in, in every state. So we're, 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 we're really like a managing general underwriter. Uh, more MGU. than just okay. MGA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so... Can you share how many policies you sell, sold, or directly? I don't. I don't know if we. I don't know if we're sharing that publicly. Yeah, but we, that's fine. We that's why I'm asking our... if you can share. Yeah. No, 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 Sometimes no. it's think, a, you don't want to share it. I think we've had two straight years of more than 10x okay. uh, year on year growth. Yeah. Oh, that's important. Yeah, so that's what that what will make your uh, investors happy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that will be one of those uh, dry KPIs. Like, hey, I will sell this progress, and, I, and then I mean, I will say, you know, the, the filings are public, so at some point we'll be more public about about what those numbers are. But it is possible mm-hmm. to pull. Uh, it's a little you have to reconstruct them because in some cases it's under the exchange, and in some cases it's on, you know, we're an MGA. But it is you know public information, but you know it's always like at least three or four months old. So uh, the growth rate is very high. That's important. Uh, how are you in terms of funding? Uh, we raised our last round. Uh, we raised $50 million uh, as a Series B led by Anthemus. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that closed earlier this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I presume that we'll raise again uh, in uh, 2022. Cool. So if everyone listening, it's like, hey, start uh, collecting those, uh, <laughs> those dimes because you will need a lot of them. I imagine next That's round right. will be a little bit higher than that. We will not dive yes. into that information. Into that information. <laughs> yeah, they tend to go up. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the idea. Listen, at the end of the day, if you are in the insurance space, it's very straightforward how valuation and how much money you need. Especially as you grow and want to be a carrier in more than one state. And as you mentioned, you 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 plan to hit fifty states in a structure yeah, well, of MGA, MGU, or a carrier, right? So you need that solvency. So let's do this because we've been talking about so many different things and I have a feeling that we are going to pick it up again in a future episode, especially the economics, right? And I, you know, yeah. people, I, I have a feeling that people don't really understand the economics of insurance and how it actually operates. And that's before even we talked about the syndications and Lloyds of London and all that beauty of right. that marketplace, right? Because he, that has its own little vibe little <laughs> the origin of modern insurance um, let me ask you the last question that i'm asking everyone that joins me on this uh, on this podcast can you give us a recommendation 
it can be a life hack, it can be a book, a TV show. And because we talked about um, psychology, by the way, before that, uh, did you see <laughs> Foundation? Are you? Oh, I have not watched it yet. I'm, you know, I, I have enough stress in my, uh, in my day life that uh, I tend to go for the most frivolous television uh, or sports. Uh, uh, in, in my entertainment. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. In that case, Hey, give me your recommendation. Here's, here's a recommendation I have for you. Um, uh, there's a, there's a band, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, grew up and got famous in Columbus, uh, called 21 pilots. Um, just had a number of top 40 hits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. they're um, and, uh, they're the most interesting band to see live because, uh, I just took, my two 12 year old twins to see them uh, on Friday and they're from Columbus. And so when they come to Columbus, it's, it's a phenomenal, it's the best place to see 21 pilots in Columbus, but um, anywhere you can see them. Um, they went from straight hardcore rap into a cover of Benny and the jets, uh, the genre bending of uh, the performance and really like phenomenally interesting uh, and fun performance. And so I would say if you have an opportunity to see 21 pilots on their tour, uh, you should watch them because they're great. Fantastic. I love it. that That's a, a different type of recommendation, not a life hack or anything like that. Because um, if you, I think that today published the episode with the Dustin Yodo and one of the stories that he tells there, I think it will only in the full episode is like, um, you know, he is, he has bees. So he's doing a little bit of beekeeping and he has like, yeah. So, so, Usually the thing is like my best advice is never show your bees, you know, at in, at night. Why? Because usually you <laughs> you add a little bit of wine, you light a cigar, so you'll have the smoke to calm down the bees, and then you want to show it to your friends, and this is where usually you sting because the bees don't really recognize <laughs> that hey, that's their master, but they think it's a raccoon, right? No matter that's the quality great. of the cigar, you always get sting. So that's. <laughs> yes, no, I will give, I think, I think we should go see more live music and live theater uh, and general live events. I think they're, the arts are fantastic. And so, uh, yeah. Indeed, but. indeed. Joe, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, same here. Happy to, and happy to expand on anything uh, in the future, but would love to be just part of more and more good conversations about uh, deep diving into the business uh, strategies and economics of the trends. Fantastic. Have a good one, man. Cheers. Thank you. You too.